Today, I'm continuing a series on the book of 1 John. Last week, we had a break with a very powerful testimony from the Dean about his daughter's death. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that and how he encountered God and came to faith as a result of it, please go onto our YouTube channel and watch that video. It is incredibly powerful. I don't know about you, but I was very moved and touched by what happened there. Two weeks ago, Jebson did the last one in the series, speaking on 1 John 3. And he brought out how he couldn't even get past the first verse without God really impacting him about the meaning of the word to come and see. Great truth there. He brought out, uh, secondly, he brought out a real challenge on where our identity is. And again, that's been a theme coming out this morning. Where are our eyes focused? Is it on what the world is saying or what God's saying about us? It's not on the labels we place on ourselves or what God is actually declaring as truth about us. And thirdly, he went on to unpack what God's true love is and the importance of what he has done for us. And the reason I'm raising this so much is because we know that 1 John was a letter. It wasn't neatly divided into chapters and verses. They didn't come about till about the mid-1500s, if we're being honest with you. But instead, this would have been a letter read in a congregation that just sets out God's love and the message that John wanted to bring. So today, we're going to read 1 John 4, and I've asked uh, Pete and Diana just to come up and read us through the uh, chapter. Diana, first of all. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world, and indeed is already here. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people, because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's point, uh, view, viewpoint, and the world listens to them. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. Loving one another. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love God does not, does know, does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. 
No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that that the Father sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow, a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Thank you both for that. Now, when I was prepping for this talk, I actually was faced with a couple of problems. I could probably have written about three talks, to be honest. There's so much truth in those verses there. Some of the most famous passages in the Bible about God being love, about freedom from fear, about other areas there. But actually, what you're getting this morning is where I've listened to God. I believe he's taking us. Something a bit different on this section. Earlier, I mentioned the importance of understanding 1 John as a letter. Because if you look at the first start of this, a section about discerning prophetic voices, or in other translations, discerning the spirit, it's actually bookended by love, both before it and after it. And John, in this section here, was encouraging the church he was writing to, to really engage their brains, engage their discernment, and test what was being taught to them. And I really hope you're going to be doing the same to me here today. One of the first things to note in this, actually right at the start, and it could be strange to some of us with a more Western logical mindset, is actually pointing out the spiritual realm is real. As a church, we speak lots about gifts of the Spirit, about God's work among us. We might not always speak as much about actually there being spiritual realm out there, powers, principalities. But the Bible is really clear all throughout it that it exists and it is real. It's just a few verses that point it out, and I could have picked hundreds out of here. 1 Genesis 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. Right from the beginning of the Bible, the Spirit of God. Judges 6. A famous passage where an angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. Isaiah 14. Isaiah's having a vision of heaven, and he mentions actually he sees Satan and demons fall from heaven. Very powerful passage there. Interestingly describing him as O shining star, son of the morning, alluding to Satan's attractive but fundamentally deceptive nature. Throughout Ezekiel, especially in 
41 to 46, in his vision of heaven, as mentions of angels and what's going on around the throne room of God there. Jesus had many, many encounters in the spirit with demon-possessed people. And the passage I put up there, we will all recognise the story of where Jesus sends demons into a herd of pigs and they drown straight off the back of that. What I hadn't put up there, but actually came to mind this morning in our worship and our prayer for the government, Romans 13.1, God appoints the powers and principalities and the authorities of this world. Not just meaning physical, but spiritual as well putting it that way. And in the final book of the Bible, Revelation, this is the letter's author, John, being taken up in the spirit to see what's going on in heaven at the end of days. I think we've, if you've read it, you would know what's happening, but spoiler alert, God enforces the victory. He's already won. Works it through there. Yes. These are just a few passages, but throughout the Bible, it is absolutely clear. The spiritual realm is real. And John is teaching the church here to use discernment when people are speaking prophetically. As a church, as a, as a child, I used to find that concept quite strange, quite really messing with my head. I could get the idea of a spirit realm being like electricity around me, like radio signals. I understood that. But it didn't quite work for me. Partly because of one of the earliest memories I've got. I'm six. I'm walking about 10 steps behind my mum to what actually was quite a spiritually oppressive dark area. I could feel presences around me, as I would do if someone was in the room. I could see what's going on physically, but I could also see dark robed figures around me. It was not a pleasant sight to see as a child of six. If you imagine um, the weeping angels of Doctor Who, fairly similar to that as <laughs> was going on there. I could see my mum a few steps ahead of me. I could see light emanating from her. I didn't understand it. Didn't understand what was taking place there. Yes, I had a very, very childlike early faith in Jesus then. But I didn't fully understand what was taking place there. And actually, if I'm honest with you, I was fairly scared of what was happening. I didn't understand, actually, as Christians, we are dwelt in by God and the Holy Spirit as we've heard earlier today. I didn't understand, as it's got on the screen in front of us, in front of us there, that actually he is greater than the world, what's going on there. I didn't understand that actually what I was experiencing was the gift of discernment, as mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. But actually what that showed me was the spiritual realm is real. The Bible says it, says it so. My experience says it so. And actually church, if we're sat here going, okay, God's real, but the spiritual realm isn't, I would challenge you today. The Bible is really clear on this point. And the reason we need to be aware of that is because we need to be aware of who we are as children of God. 1 John 3, 1, you are called a child of God, coming from last week, then speaks on love, then speaks actually, once we understand that and our identity in God, John is teaching the church to be mindful, to be aware of what's being taught us, to show discernment and to check for real truths there. It's a great place to know that actually on our side is God, the one who spoke, and the word literally translates to spoke the world into being, the one who created that. And he's saying that we are loved and part of him here, there. 
And the reason that got me thinking on this one, about spiritual realm being real, is John is teaching the church to use discernment, to use wisdom, and actually what the messages they're hearing. But sometimes messages can be dressed up in wonderful language. I know we can all think of really eloquent preachers that we've heard. Don't know about you, but occasionally I've had to go back and listen to a preach two or three times. The first time I've listened to it and I've gone, hmm, that sounds right. Something hasn't sat right inside me. I had to go back and listen to it a couple of times to understand what the person's actually saying, what they're teaching. Especially if that person has been speaking prophetically on this. Actually, got me thinking as a church, do we understand how to test what we're receiving prophetically? It's been wonderful today in the service to see a huge amount of prophetic words coming out. Actually, as I'll go through a slide shortly, it's a really useful test you can apply. You can see actually how it meets a number of those tests coming through there. We know that it's desirable for church to be prophetic. Even Paul himself writes in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, let love be your highest goal. Paul and John really tying up there. But also, you should desire the special abilities that the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. We've seen it here today. But here, church, let's look at the tools we can use to test the prophetic as you start to work this through. In case you're wondering who that is on the screen there, as a gent called Colin Dye. He's the former leader of Kensington Temple Church, one of the largest Elim Pentecostal churches in the UK. He's been a real spiritual father to many in this nation, and he's taught widely about the prophetic, about the gifts of spirits as well. I actually was reading one of his books, uh, and he's got some really helpful tools there. So if we're getting prophetic words through, the first question we must ask to show wisdom is, is the message biblical? Prophecy, true prophecy from God, will never contradict the Bible. Yeah. I'm just going to say that again. True prophecy will never contradict the Bible. The Bible is the standard we can come back to. Work it through there. And actually, if we look at the passage we're looking at, 1 John 4, John was directly addressing a truth that needed to be recognised in the church, that Jesus was physically born, physically died, was raised to eternal life. Working through there. Secondly, the list of tools Colin really recommends. Check with the witness of the Spirit. What he means by that is the Holy Spirit is in us as believers. It's in us there to help us have discernment, but it's also in there to help us understand is the prophetic word in line with the gifts of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians 5? Can we look at what's going through there? confirmation has this word come from two or three or more people i loved worship today there's various people bringing out different words but all of them building into a sense of god's power his majesty and the fact that we're called together true prophecy is always going to be confirmed by two or three people independently bringing something here now some of you will know i'm a vicar's son I've been around churches since, well, dot. Uh, I was, my dad was a Methodist vicar when I, was, uh, when I came into the world. I've seen prophecy try to be misused. Prophecy isn't a shortcut on a governance process. And true prophecy's confirmation is really important because too often people saying, I think God says, or actually God says, actually means I want. 
And as believers, we need to show discernment here about what people are showing to us. Now, most of you in this room will know that Sarah's my wife, and we've been married about 14 and a bit years. Time has really flown by in that time. Thanks, Goody, for getting hold. Yes, I know. <laughs> but I wasn't always dating Sarah. I had relationships beforehand. One particular ex-girlfriend, as I was having a very difficult conversation to break up with her because I didn't see it going further, turned to me and said, but God told me we're going to get married. I am very glad I had not received confirmation on that word. And actually, years later now, me and Sarah have been married a very long time. I say that as a jokey point, but seriously, true prophecy will have confirmation from independent people. Keep that as a test there. Next one's a bit more interesting. Who's the person giving the word? Are they part of a church community? Have they got people over them? Who, are they showing that they are teachable, open, and actually the gifts of the Spirit coming through here? It's important to establish the character of a person. Are they someone really following Jesus? Too often we see people being prophetic voices out there without any, any form of accountability. I would challenge those people to say, who are the people you are submitting to to actually help teach you, to guide you on this one? Message accuracy is another big one here. Again, true prophetic words will be accurate. We heard accuracy here today. But it's not just going to be about specific details. I've often had people say, can you pray for us? Can you listen to what God's saying to me? And I'll say, yes, I always love praying for people. Sometimes, though, I don't give what God's given me. That's, a, that's been a word for me to understand at the moment. But also, at times, I've had to check myself. I've prayed for people many times knowing too many details about their private situation to actually trust that what I'm, what's happening when I'm speaking things out is, is God. It could actually be me, my compassion, my love for the person, my empathy for the person coming through there. But a true prophetic word will always be accurate. That's the point here. You just have to be careful that it's not your own knowledge coming out here. And finally, something Colin recommends, record the word. Some of you would have seen this scrappy old notebook of mine. I've had it for about 10 years. As you can see, it gets used and abused. But that's, that is one of the most precious things I've got. <laughs> As I throw it on the floor, yes, I know. But it's one of the most precious things I've got because it records prophetic words that others have had for me since about 2008 in there. It's been great to record it via that, audio notes and other ways. Why? Because as I read back, I can start to see how confirmation has come through. I can start to see how different themes have come through. And actually some of the old words in there are stuff that I hadn't revealed to anyone, not even Sarah as my wife. And God supernaturally revealed it to others. And it's great to look back on them and just see how they've been fulfilled. Words that I couldn't potentially imagine how it's going to happen have come true. And as a church, the reason I'm mentioning this is, again, looking back at the context at the start of this passage, where John was teaching around, check what you're being taught, check what you're understanding, especially when prophetic areas are in there. He's mentioning a core fundamental truth as a, we have a, as a Christian. Now, for those of you who've been around the faith a long time, you will have heard some of these being mentioned. There's a number of really core fundamental truths that set out who we are as Christians and how we relate to our faith. Actually, you probably come across a number of them in what's called creeds. They are the statements of belief about who we are. And one of the most famous ones, 
on the screen there. The Nicene Creed came up, the original version of this was developed in 325 AD by the First Council of Nicaea, really to help settle church arguments and define what we believe as Christians. Now, I put it on the screen. If you're like me, you may have grown up in a church where it's been recited or in a school where it's been recited. And if like me, you probably read it in your head a bit like this. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that's seen and unseen. No, church. This is not the Bible. Let me make it clear. But this is a document that is fundamentally packed full of truth. It's packed full of truth of what we believe and the core beliefs of us as, a, as Christians. I tend to read it now more like this. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and of all things seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. I can't help but get excited when I read this. It is so full of truth about who we are as Christians. It's full of what's called, really called primary theology. I'm getting a bit technical here. But it's part of the areas that we're saying, actually, as Christians, these are the areas we must agree with others on. These are the absolute core of our faith. Let's work through with others. And by the way, if you're seeing at the bottom, bottom side there, where my laser's hopefully pointing, the Catholic Church mentioned there, it's not meaning the Catholic denomination. We're in a Catholic school. It means the altogether church. That's why I made that clear on that one, in case you're wondering. That confused me for a long time when I was, when I was younger. But the reason I'm, I'm doing this is because Back in 1 John 3, we have love. We have testing going on, checking the core of what you've been taught. And if we go into this, again, on the screen you'll see 1 John 4, 7 to 2. We go straight back to continuing in love for one another. Today we've heard a lot about the government, the disagreements that are going on there. And actually, church, how radical can we be as a church if we are the antidote to that, if we're showing up, actually opposite, we are a loving family to each other in a world where there is division, where there is hatred, where there's people really being quite outrageous towards each other in their behaviour, all dressed up in lovely flowery language, but really quite cutthroat. Too often in churches as well, we've seen massive disagreements take place, falling outs, splits, and actually, if you know your history books, wars take place. Because as the church, we've, got, we've concentrated not on what the core of what we believe, but actually instead where we're divided from one another. We haven't kept in mind John's exhortation here to love one another because of the love that God has shown us. There's loads of areas we could disagree in. Now, you might need to Google some of the terms I'm about to use, but you'll hopefully get the point I'm getting. We've got churches who believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped versus, versus continuing today. Eastern versus Western Christianity. If you've got different position on adult or infant baptism, you've got churches different views on who can speak. You've got a Calvinist or Arminian view of predestination. You're egalitarian or complementarian. If you've got pre, post, amillennial views of what the book of Revelation means, or actually more simply, I've, I've seen this in church, Churches falling out do use bread or communion wafers. And one particularly memorable example from one of my dad's churches, 
people falling out about whether they used a hymn book from 1922 or 1925, and this was in 1990. I can still remember my dad talking to me about that and going, really? I've got to stop because it, it's, it's a, there's a massive list, but church, we are called to love one another. We are called to be family with one another because of what God has done for us. Yes, all churches will say they have certain points they think they're right on. And if you really want to get into a theology conversation, Andy, Duncan, I'm pointing everyone to you on that one. <laughs> but there's a lot of positions here that actually there's room to disagree with each other. We, have, we say right as a church, but we have room to disagree with each other. We have room for people to take different points of view. Now, a lot of us in the room will remember Dorla. Actually, I remember a church-wide leadership meeting about 18 months ago. We're talking about that banner there, the values that underpin our church. And we're talking about the, the Bible references that would put it there. And were there any um, order we should go in or any areas we should particularly emphasize? Now, Jerry was sat with us. And Jerry went off to make a cup of tea. Three and a half minutes, he came back later, and came and sat down and said, blimey, I can't leave you two alone. You're having a proper row. I mean, Dorla and I were really going for each other. Bible, counterverse, going back to Greek, understanding historical reference. But as Jerry said, you're having a row. Dorla and I looked each other in the eye and both burst out laughing. Why? Because as Dorla said, that wasn't a row. We were just searching for truth. Dorla and I held opposite theological views in areas and actually opposite political views. But fundamentally, we understood this section of the verse here about loving one another. Amen. That came first. Yeah. And church, we're a wonderful wide family that, that, that is showing that actually there is room for disagreement. There's room for disagreement in love with each other. Yes, me and her, we could talk for hours about this sort of stuff, and sometimes we did. Um, but we 100% agreed on primary theology, the stuff I mentioned in the Nicene Creed earlier, the real core of us. We recognised where we could have differences, but we also recognised we were brother and sister in Christ, and that came before anything else. And actually, churches, we see in the world at the moment with all the disagreements, what a great thing to show the world, that we don't have to have polarised opposites and be in small groups that are saying exclusively right, but actually we can say love is at the heart of what we're doing because of God's love, because we've been radically impacted by what he's done for us. Actually, John goes further than what I put on screen. And that really would work better if I had separated the slides, but look at the bottom of the screen there. Verse 20 onwards, that is pretty strong words that John has put there. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. You can, you can go through different Bible translations. They all come out very, very similar on that one. John is not mincing his words here. Actually, church, I was trying to say, if you've got a hard heart against someone who's a fellow believer, Actually, go back into that place with God. Go back into that place where you can be softened by Holy Spirit. Actually, repent of that. Not everyone's easy to love. I know, certainly I'm not. Um, I can be spiky. I can, get, I can debate with people. Actually, down the years, I've been a bit rough and tough with a few people. And there's people in this room I have most definitely offended. But I'm really glad 
we've always tried to put love at the center of things, to seek forgiveness and seek that place with each other there. I'm just going, to, just going to go to one final point on this section here. This love is not rooted in our own understanding, but this love is supernatural from God. As we can see on the screen, we know how much God loves us. We have put his, our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. What an amazing place to be here. We've heard this morning a lot of words about actually being in God in, in worship. We've heard words today about actually how you can use prophetic words to listen to what's coming through there. But actually, for me, one of the most famous lines in the whole Bible about God's love, 1 John 14, such love is perfect fear. We're loved by God who fuels our love for others because it is perfect love that casts out all fear. It is not a human love. It is God's love for us that sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. That actually, a love for us that stretches from eternity. The Bible said, the Bible said, sent God's only son to take the punishment for us and be clean. A love that sent actually someone who's without sin, without offence to God, onto the cross. I'm just going to pause on that because I can't get over that at times. That God loved us first, actually he fuels our love for everyone else out of it. That's incredible if we let him. And because of that, we don't need to be afraid to approach him. And actually, as I'm stood here today, I feel God saying, there's a couple of people in this room, you feel really afraid to approach God. You look at yourselves and you say, I'm not worthy. I can't approach you. You don't know what I've done. And I just feel God saying, you are free from sin because of what Jesus has done. You're free to approach me. Come experience my love. Come experience me as your heavenly father. As your good, perfect heavenly father. Not, not flawed human one. But as your heavenly dad who loves you. We've covered a lot here this morning. Spiritual realm being real, how to test prophecy, loving one another, being a united family. And actually now, understanding more about God's perfect love. Actually as the band come back up to play, as well as that word that was brought there, there's a couple of other words I felt God saying. Secondly, I felt God saying there's a couple of people in this room and you're actually saying, 
great to hear what you said. The spiritual realm still isn't real to me. I felt God saying, you don't need to be there in a place of fear of it. You've been people blessed with amazing intellect, amazing capacity to understand things. But that's actually become an idol for you. And he's calling you to lay it down, to come experience his love today. And actually, he wants to take you on an adventure where you see more of the miraculous in your life. I can share from my own experience. God's given me a good brain. That's a journey I went on about 10 years ago. Please come up at the end. I'd love to pray with you about this. I'd love to see freedom in that area in your life. I also say that there's a person in here. You hear prophetically from God quite a lot, but you don't trust what you're saying. You're worried about being deceived by some other spirit. God's saying, you hear accurately. You hear his voice. I'd encourage you just to use some of those tests that I put out there, but also from wiser, older Christians who can mentor you as well on this one. Because he, he wants you to keep walking in an adventure of faith with you. But we've ended on the points from 1 John 3, a book ends, the passage about uh, testing, love, love, God's love for us. Actually, church, there's only one thing we can really do to reference that, and for me, let's just go back to worship. I'm just going to hand back to the band. And if anyone wants prayer for the areas I mentioned or anything else, some of us are just going to be gathered down here on my right hand side. I'd love to be able to pray with you. I know others will be as well.